The holidays can be a difficult time for service members, particularly for the ones who are deployed across the globe. But for 80 years, the USO has worked to connect these men and women to family and home, whether that's through the celebrity entertainment that they're famous for or through services for the armed forces, veterans, and their families. But it's 2020, and COVID has affected every corner of the globe. Dr. J.D. Crouch, the CEO of the USO, explains how the organization is adapting to the new challenges to keep on serving our vets, taking celebrities overseas virtually, or even helping an aircraft carrier that is forced out of action. When the Theodore Roosevelt pulled into Guam, and you all saw that in the news, uh, we were the main supplier of N95 masks to the Navy. You know, uh, we, we, we took care of 3,500 sailors, you know, for weeks out of the resources that we had there. So uh, I'm very proud of, of the fact that on a quarantine or an at-distance programming, we've been able to do uh, much of what we were doing before, uh, just in different ways. Dr. Crouch also discusses his optimistic style of leadership, as well as what he learned during his time as Deputy National Security Advisor in the George W. Bush administration. And he also shares his memories of the late Alex Trebek, a longtime USO supporter. I'm Andrew Kaufman, and this is The Strategist, presented by the George W. Bush Presidential Center. This is our Thanksgiving Day episode. Um, and an organization that has helped so many service members have a special Thanksgiving is the USO. Dr. J.D. Crouch is the CEO of the USO, and he's also former assistant to the president and deputy national security advisor in the Bush administration, Bush 43 administration. Um, and he's also former U.S. ambassador to Romania. So, Ambassador Crouch, Dr. Crouch, thank you so much for joining yeah, us. Yeah, J.D.'s fine. Uh, <laughs> All right, J.D., just just for today. Okay. Okay. <laughs> And our co-host today is Ioana Pappas. She is the former producer for The Strategist. Now she's moved on and she is the communications manager for a military service initiative. Ioana, thanks for coming back. Thanks for having me on this side of the mic. (laughs) (laughs) It's kind of exciting, right? It's different, that's for sure. (laughs) (laughs) So Dr. Crouch, when, um, oh, sorry, when JD, I'm going to, it's going to take me a minute to get used to it. Um, when people talk about the USO, I think they often think about celebrities visiting overseas, and, and it's all about the celebrity. But the USO does has a really wide range of, of services and missions. Can you talk about the USO and what, what y'all are up to at a high level? Sure. You know, this is an 80-year-old organization. It was founded by a president, uh, Roosevelt, just prior to our entry into World War II uh, in February of 1941. And uh, I think President Roosevelt understood that the central challenge of military life was separation. It's not, you know, fear of battle or that sort of thing. We've got we've got great young Americans who are are willing to fight for their country. That's why they signed up. But it's uh, it's it's really that feeling of separation. So all of our programming is really designed to be the antidote to that. We try to strengthen service members by keeping them connected to family, home, and country. That's the thing. And so entertainment's a component of that. It may be when you go through an airport, we've got over 60 airports around the country and around the world where uh, we've got special places for service members and their families to go. It may be a program when they first get into the military and they, we meet them at boot camp and we, you know, we help them through that, you know, those kind of difficult days when they're getting their head shaved and uh, life is changing and, you know, that sort of thing. Right. Uh, it may be downrange. Uh, I'm, we're just about to actually close uh, this month, USO Kandahar in Afghanistan. That's been there uh, really almost since the beginning of the Afghan war. So 
Uh, and that's a place where service members who are in a combat zone have a place to go rest, relax, be taken care of. Uh, you know, during the holidays, they'll have programs there. And I've got personnel deployed in, in Afghanistan, in Iraq, those kinds of places taking care of them. Finally, it may be somebody who's getting out of the military and needs a help. And so we uh, we have a, a really strong network uh, of what are what we call Pathfinder programs around the country where people can can uh, get services to transition out and uh, have a, a successful transition out of the military, which is you know hard for a lot of folks who come out of the military. They're very capable people, but translating what they've done in the military into something that's applicable in civilian life is not necessarily so easy. So, and I know the you know, the Bush Center's done a lot of work on that. And in fact, we modeled uh, some of the things that we're doing after some of the uh, analysis that uh, that you guys put together. Well, thank you so much. That's that's a great honor to hear that, that you guys look at our analysis and it has helped you all um, help veterans transition. I'm curious to hear how COVID-19 has impacted some of these transitions for veterans. It's harder to find a job for anyone, and I'm assuming veterans are, are potentially struggling a little bit more, unfortunately. Yeah, obviously, you know, whenever the economy is in a difficult position, it always affects veterans. And it also, I just want to point out, it also affects spouses, because your readership should know that this is not the Vietnam War military. I mean, 60% of the force is married, and a lot of times those spouses are the first ones to get jobs when there's a transition going on. And so the down the downward uh, impact of the economy has, has had an impact on that. Now we keep our programs, they're open not only for service members, but also for the spouses who are transitioning out. And we help them uh, connect them with potential employers, identify skill gaps that they need, help them get training, and so uh, one of the things that I know you guys know very well uh, from your, your analysis is there really isn't a lack of resources out there. It's getting it the right resources into the service members' hands in a timely way. And so we're able to do that because our, we're located right on the bases. We're, we're in contact. And our focus has really been on those 200,000 that get out every year and their families. A lot of other great organizations doing wonderful work in this area and we'll often hand hand that work over to them. You know, that'll be something that part of our, our process. But that, if we can get that 200,000 on a good trajectory, then that helps to reduce downstream the problems and the challenges. And as you know, the analysis shows that it's in that first year when things can go really badly uh, for a transitioning service member if they don't find work uh, or if they don't have a sense of purpose, right? Not only work in a sense of purpose, it's also their mental health and just making sure that they're checking in and ensuring they're staying healthy and communicating with their peers who have faced similar situations. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. An, imp an important part of, of our program is sort of making sure they have a community connection, right? These are people that I think one of the challenges they have is they've committed themselves to a, a cause that's sort of greater than themselves. And, and, and often when they get out of the military, you know, that first job does, just doesn't feel the same way as it did when they were in the military. Right. And so, uh, so having their peers around them, having mentors and that sort of thing that can help them through uh, th this transition is a, a really powerful component of that. Well, I think it, one of the things that the USO has done in general too, is, is really raise the awareness of of how great our military servicemen and women are and and 
in the Vietnam era, you had people coming back and they weren't, they didn't come home necessarily as heroes, as I understand it. Um, but today they really do. And, and, uh, you know, the USO has probably been a big part of that. And as you said, like our research showed that there is, there are, you know, thousands upon thousands of nonprofits that are dedicated to serving these veterans and trying to make their transition better. But how do you make sure, but there are so many of them. How do you, how do you make sure that they're all effective? How do you make sure that the, all their resources are, that all the resources going to them are well spent? And, um, you know, it's great to hear that, that someone with the, with the experience and expertise that the USO has is on the basis helping those vets. Well, it was, you know, it was actually, again, I mentioned the work that you've done. We actually went out when we decided to get into the transition business uh, in, a, in a big way. We, rather than in reinventing this, we went out and partnered with another nonprofit. And what we said to them was, look, we can scale you up more rapidly if you join us than if, than if, you, if, we, if we all sort of do this individually, right? And so we basically were able to pair their subject matter expertise with our resources and our placement all over these bases to, to do what would have taken 10 or 15 or 20 years uh, in a year or two. And, and so that has been a, a big lesson. And I think one of the things I know the Bush Center has said is, you know, come on, guys, there's 47,000 of you. Collaborate more, work more together. Uh, and so we've tried to be a good, good steward in that. And you know, you think about the USO. What is the USO? It stands for United Service Organizations. Those were six organizations that were brought together at the beginning of World War II to form one big one. We, we're the first nonprofit roll-up in the military space, right? And we're 80 years old. Oh, that's cool. And so uh, we're trying to take that, that experience and extend it beyond uh, what we're, you know, in, into the 21st century needs. So what's it like being a service member now on a, on a base right now, as we record this, it's right before Thanksgiving. What's it like, you know, being away from family and, and going through that as a, as, as a young man or, or woman in overseas? Well, it's always hard because you're obviously physically separated, but now it's worse because of COVID. I think uh, oftentimes they can't congregate. Uh, you know, we, we had to pivot very rapidly in March to deliver our programming in different ways. And so we will be doing, we would have normally done a lot of Thanksgiving dinners with crowds of people in our centers. Well, we can't do that this time. So now we're doing Thanksgiving dinner and we're dropping it off or we're setting it up where families can drive through and pick up their Thanksgiving dinner. Earlier this year, we had Martha Stewart come on and build uh, bake cookies. We had 23,000 service members on that. Wow. On that at one time. Oh, that's cool. Uh, and so the family could do something together in their own kitchen, but they could also feel like somebody was out there, you know, thinking about them and worrying about them and all the things that you want them to think, particularly at the holidays. Well, and that's one of the things we've also, we talk a lot about, and again, you mentioned this too, is that we, when it's not just the service member that deploys, in a sense, the whole family deploys. They might they might stay at home, but they're, they're as much a part of the military as, as, as the, the man or woman overseas. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, one of the things that we've done, we did a, we did a study actually a couple of years ago now looking at uh, the particular needs of military spouses. And we're, we are building programs around that. And again, it's, it's very similar, but a lot of our, our centers were really built around having service members come in. So we're now inviting them in. And if you think about a service member that deploys overseas, right, 
he or she knows where they're going, right? They're going to that building that they're working in and they've got a job and the kids know where they're going. They're probably going to this local Dodd school or something like that. But the spouse is disconnected, right? And it's mostly women, about 85% women. And they will, um, you know, they don't, they don't know how to plug into the community. Well, the USO has become their place to do that. We've got a great program called Coffee Connections. We bring spouses in from all over military bases. We bring them in. Uh, we introduce the spouses that have been there for a while to the ones who are new. We help to introduce them to the resources in the community. And we get them sort of firmly established, right? Some of them may be looking for work. We can help there. But oftentimes, they're just looking for somebody to help babysit the kids, help, you know, give them an opportunity to explore the community, not make the same mistakes that others made before them, you know. And so uh, that and that's, you know, one aspect, one way that we help to serve the military spouse community. I know it's it's challenging for for spouses, like you were commenting, um, trying to find their next step whenever they reach a base and friendship is so important. I also know that you guys famously have a lot of celebrities join in on the different activities. And I was just curious, how has, you mentioned Martha Stewart doing things virtually, but how have you been leaning on this veterans together, spouses together, and and how have they helped bridge that divide a little bit? Sure. Um, Well, you should, you know, you and your your viewers should go to uh, uso.org forward slash MVP military virtual programming. And you will see a lot of the things that we've got, we've done a lot of things we've got coming up. We have had all kinds of stars, people like Scarlett Johansson, uh, comedians, uh, people from all walks of life, sports people. And what we'll do is we'll set up um, virtual sessions with, with service members. And they come in and they talk to them, answer questions, give them a feeling that there's somebody out there that that, that cares about them, is thinking about them. Um, one of the funny things about COVID, to be honest with you, is it's actually made it easier to get some stars to do that. Not that they didn't want to do it before, but they're all locked up on their couches like we are, right? So, so they're, so they now, they, and and these people, you know, they're naturally outgoing and they want to, they they want to connect. And so we've had a captive audience there a little bit and had some really fantastic talent. Uh, we've also done some big shows over the summer. We had three big shows. I think combined, we had almost 400,000 viewers uh, of those shows, you know, uh, rock, country, Western, you know, all that sort of thing. So uh, th- that community is still giving back and we'll get back on the road, you know, when we can. Uh, but until then, we're going to be pushing uh, our virtual programming. And frankly, even after this is all over, the COVID we, we, we will still push virtual programming because it's a way to connect people um, that, uh, quite frankly, it's, it's not as good as being there in person, but it's, but it's I think, a lot better than people thought it would be. And, and it gives them that, that sense, again, that uh, uh, I, can, I can give an hour here or there. I don't have to fly all the way to Afghanistan. I can give an hour here or there, and I can make a difference in their lives. Was it hard to steer the ship in this new direction in a short amount of time? I know that's something we've we've worked hard as at as an organization. I'm curious what you guys went through in trying to make that transition. Well, you know, hard. I, I will tell you, I think it's done some wonderful things for the organization. Uh, I made a decision very early to to set three priorities for the organization. One was to protect our force to make sure that 
that because we're we're a person people driven organization and without those people we can't do anything but two to to continue to deliver our mission and and then finally to to increase not decrease our collaboration with others so those three things have been the kind of hallmark of what we've done since March. And uh, I'm very proud of the way the team has pivoted. And not only are we doing the virtual programming, but as I said, the support for quarantine soldiers. Uh, you know, we when the when the Theater Roosevelt pulled into Guam, and you all saw that in the news, uh, we were the main supplier of N95 masks to the Navy. Oh, wow. You know, uh, we, we, we took care of 3,500 sailors, you know, for weeks out of the resources that we had there. So uh, I'm very proud of, of the fact that on a quarantine or an at-distance programming, we've been able to do uh, much of what we were doing before, uh, just in different ways. And it, it sparked a sense of creativity and individual initiative within the organization that was great. And it really flattened us, you know, in, in the sense that everybody's on Microsoft Teams and, you know, the boss doesn't have to be consulted. And, and that's right. the kind of organization I like to lead. You know, don't don't consult me. Just call me later and tell me the great stuff you did. You know, so so it, it really flattened things out, empowered them, I think, to be able to do more quickly because we knew we were in a crisis situation. Keeps you nimble. But that's the USO, you know. <laughs> we're an organization that was born to go to war. And this is a different kind of war. It's a war on COVID. But we were very active, particularly here in the U.S. with the Guard and others who were, who, were, who were out in the middle of it. You mentioned Martha Stewart, but I'm curious, is there another moment since March that just really stands out to you where you've seen this community come together? I have to really pinpoint uh, Guam was an amazing thing. I mean, it, it was uh, I mean, we had serv- we had people that were literally working 60, 70, 80 hour weeks for six weeks. there trying to take care of that unit. Um, and the morale, the morale on, on that aircraft carrier was, you know, not strong because of the circumstances they were put under, but I really, uh, both the Navy and, and we have recognized that Guam team for, for what they've done, but it's, it's all over the place. Uh, quarantine soldiers in, in Afghanistan, big problem. Uh, and, and lots of people put into quarantine, the USO there to help connect them, deliver them, deliver services to them. I guess one of my favorite ones, though, if I have to pick one, is a young Marine in Iraq. And he comes running into the USO, and he was supposed to be on a flight, but he was str- to get home, and he was stranded in Iraq because of COVID. And the reason he wanted to get home is because his wife was having their first baby. Mm. And so we hooked him up. We put him in the room with his wife. Uh, she, they were there. They could communicate through the whole thing. He couldn't quite hold his first baby, but he could get about as close to her virtually uh, as as you could imagine. And it it was really uh, important. It was an important thing. That's the kind of stuff that that we're there for. And doing it day in and day out. That's one example. But but you know, through for eighty years, that's what y'all been doing. And it's not it's not the big concert necessarily that makes the biggest impact on someone. No, we touched service members and their families over 12 million times last year. So, Ioana is from Canada, and I, 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 
I threatened that I would ask this and I just can't resist. Alex Trebek is also Canadian. Yet despite being Canadian, he was a he was committed to the to the USO for 30 years. Unfortunately, he did just pass. And so I'm wondering if if you have any any stories to share about about Mr. Trebek. I, I can call him I think I can call him Alex because he he said that I could call him Alex. Um, <laughs> uh, I got to meet him. I got to have dinner with him um uh you know, just to talk and He's a lovely man. He was a lovely man. He, um, an intelligent man. He reminds me in some ways of President Bush in the sense that he's a good listener. You know, I mean, one of the things that uh, I can say that not all politicians are good listeners, and I don't think that'll be a huge surprise to you, but he he was a good listener. Mm -hmm. And he always made you feel like the president did that what you were saying to him was important, you know? Um, And so, he had those kinds of qualities. So it's not surprising to me that he would come here and, and give back to the soldiers of his adopted country, you know, and, 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 and in a way that, you know, was, was tremendous. Uh, he, he, uh, I think he, on his first tour to Germany in 1987, Wow! went back multiple countries, Turkey, the Middle East, all over the place. And he actually served on our board for a while. Uh, he was, um, he was just a, a tremendous supporter of the USO. And um, I, I think of him, I have to say, when I think when I think the word Alex Trebek, I think, what is grace? Wow. Perfectly said. So, you know, we talked a lot about the USO. Let's talk about J.D. Crouch for a minute. You were the, uh, the uh, Deputy National Security Advisor uh, to President Bush. And as well as ambassador to Romania during a complex time with Romania, where they were, where they were, as I understand, um, helping a lot with the uh, with the deployments into um, into the Middle East. So, what what did you learn from those days that you've taken into your role with the USO? The the most important thing, and I think there's a there's a a um, connection point here with all the positions I've had, but also with the leaders I've worked for. Right, so. So, and the thing, the most important thing that a leader can do is provide a vision for the organization. And I know it's, it sounds trite or it sounds, you know, simplistic, but it often is not there, right? And, and so I've had, I've had the benefit of working for people like President Bush, who had a vision for what he wanted to get done. And that's what I've tried to do with the USO is provide a vision for the organization about yeah, we sure we were great for seventy five years, but how are we going to be great for the next seventy five years? I guess the second thing I would say to answer your question is, um, when you work in a big administration like that, and it doesn't matter where you are, you, you can make a difference. And I think sometimes people get frustrated. You know, uh, they don't necessarily uh, they don't necessarily say, "Well, you know, I'm not, I don't agree with." What the, the leader's doing, or I don't agree with my boss is doing. But what I think the more important thing to ask yourself is, in what I'm doing right now, how do I make a difference? And I, and I have found if you ask yourself that question, no matter what level you're at or where you are in an organization, you can change lives. You can change people's lives. And, and I think um, I've seen that in the USO, you know, where uh, I've, got, I've got volunteers who we have 30,000 of them, by the way. Across the across the world, who have kept people from committing suicide? Uh, I've I've got volunteers who have you know changed changed the life of of, of a service member that was you know re- really thinking that, that this was not a, a place they wanted to be anymore. So I um, 
I guess that would be the second thing, you know, that that you can make a difference. Uh, and, and yes, if you need to, if you need to straighten the leader out and tell them, tell them what to do, there's nothing wrong with speaking truth to power too. I'm, I'm a big, strong believer in that. Um, and so was president Bush, by the way, yeah, always accepted that advice, whether, whether he, you know, in the end, that was his judgment or not. He always accepted it. Well, and to speaking truth to power, what's interesting, just having, you know, gotten to sit in a few meetings with President Bush is that he's, he speaks the less, the least in a meeting. He's there to, to listen to all the people that are the experts and, and then make a decision, but he's not the one that's just, that's doing all the talking in the meeting. No, no. He, and he wasn't that way when we were with him either. You know, he, what he was very good at was asking the right question at the right time, right? And that... That's a knack that a leader has to develop, and then and then have the have the uh, presence of mind to shut up and listen. Right, shut up and listen yep. to the answer. <laughs> and you may not agree with it in the end, but you you have to take that advice on board and think about it. And that's how you make quality decisions. Uh, hearing you speak just provides me optimism for for our country and for the nation. And um, everything that we're going through with COVID-19, I think a lot of people feel um, defeated right now. And the USO shows with all the volunteers and all the great work that you're doing that there is hope out there, there is optimism. Um, and that we, we will be okay, we will find a way through. And I would argue as dark as they look right now, we've been through some darker days. I mean, how would you like to have awakened on the morning of December 8th, 1941? to find out that the world was at war and now your country was in it too, right? You know, and just sort of, and, and again, you know, go back and read a history of the Civil War and how really desperate the situation was for our country. I draw optimism from that, you know? The, the issue is not, will bad things happen? Bad things always happen. The issue is, how do you respond to those bad things? And the best way to respond to them is by picking yourself up dusting yourself off and figuring out a way forward together. This country is best when it unifies and it needs to begin to unify again. We, we've been fighting with each other a lot and we need to find that unity, uh, you know, that is, that is part of our ethos. Um, and, and yes, we also need to celebrate our differences as we do that, but that's what, but that's what the country's been about, Right how to bring unity from those differences. E pluribus unum. There's no way to have said that better. Dr. Crouch, that's, this has been really enlightening. Thank you. I've, I've, I've learned a lot about the USO and really just your, your outlook for, for the work that y'all are doing is just, it's, it's a perfect match and really appreciate the work you're doing and the time with us today. And thanks for the Bush Center for keeping, you know, the situation of our veterans and their military, their spouses, uh, at the forefront of your work. It really is uh, critical, and you guys do great work. Well, as he mentioned, you can learn more about the USO at uso.org. Sounds like there's volunteers, opportunity, and and also if you if you know a service member that, that needs to be connected to services or if you need to make a donation, there's uh, plenty, of, plenty of resources there at uso.org. Dr. Crouch, thank you so much. Thank you both. Once again, learn more about the already.
already subscribe, you can do so on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening.